Welcome to Golf Origin Stories. My name's Chris McEwen. That's new stuff by one of my very, very favorite bands, Kings of Leon, a song called Echoing. Uh, I, I so love Kings of Leon. They're so great. A little band out of Nashville made up of two brothers and two of their cousins. Um, and I think most people probably know Kings of Leon from their 2008 album, Only by the Night. Um, it had some pretty major hits on there. Sex on Fire, I think, was on that record. Um, it, it was just a, a huge kind of commercial success. But I had actually discovered Kings of Leon uh, after the release of their second album, which was Aha Shake Heartbreak. And the sound and the style of that record and the energy and just the, the feel of it just blew me away. Just absolutely blew me away. And it's one of those records where uh, I have very specific memories wrapped around that album. Uh, I listened to it so much. My kids and I listened to it so much. It was back when it was before I, I got remarried. So I was this single dad and I had this Jeep Wrangler and the kids and I would go drive in the Wrangler with the top down and just have aha shake heartbreak blasting on repeat over and over and over again. We just wore that thing out. Uh, it, I remember playing that record at the house that I owned uh, that uh, was kind of like the neighborhood bachelor pad and we would play ping pong in the garage and listen to Kings of Leon over and over and over again. Just those sorts of things, like what I was doing when I, when I was listening to that music. And ever since, I've just been enamored with the, the music that the band's produced and and Aha Shake Heartbreak has a very different sound and very different feel to it than their their huge commercial success only by the night. Uh, but that's okay because you know bands evolve and I don't want the I don't want the bands that I love to try to recreate something that they did earlier in their career. I want them to evolve. I want them to change. I want them to challenge me as a fan and as a listener. And um, and granted it's a very fine line, right? You still there's some some sort of uh principles to a band's music there there is a personality that you rely on but at the same time i don't want the same thing over and over and over and over and over again i want i want things to change up a little bit as they move through their career um, i feel like all the great bands have done that they've really challenged themselves or all the, the great musicians have have challenged themselves from from guys like bruce springsteen to another one of my favorite bands wilco uh pearl jam obviously has Changed their, uh, challenged their fans quite a bit through the years um, with different experimentations and different sounds and, and different types of albums. And uh, I just really enjoy that because then it's, it's always new, you know, listening to a new record, even by a band that you're familiar with is always kind of a new feeling and, and it's just great. So highly recommend that band. Uh, go, you should really go back. If you can go back and listen, listen to how they've evolved and how they've grown in their sound and their production and, and things like that. It's, it's pretty fascinating to listen to. Uh, but boy, aha, shake heartbreak. What a tremendous album. Um, and then, you know, to come around with, uh, only by the night is, is impressive too. They, they found a way to, to reach more people and, and to make their sound more universal. And, and it's, uh, it's, it, they're great albums on their own, each in their own way. Anyways, uh, welcome to the show, everybody. I'm back 
after a brief hiatus. I don't know if you noticed, but last week there was no show. The week before that, I did a clip show with some of the women that have been on uh, Golf Origin Stories uh, over the past year or so. Um, and I'll be totally honest, I, I talked about it on Twitter. Um, you know, I'm a very open human being uh, from an emotional perspective, from a vulnerability perspective. I'll tell you exactly what's going on and how I'm feeling things. But I, I burnt myself out. I straight up, I was, I burned myself out on not just this show and not just the YouTube stuff and, and all these other things, but just kind of in general, I got, I was tired. There's, there's been a lot going on, all great stuff. It's, it's, it's a, it's a good problem to have at the end of the day, you know, uh, complaining about being too busy is kind of a slippery slope, right? Um, it's good. It's all good work. And, and whether it be my day job or just life or, you know, um, all these sort of hobbies, quote unquote hobbies I have, like the, like this show, like the YouTube stuff. Um, it's all really, really fun to me. And I really, really enjoy it. And I've always said, you know, if, if any of it would ever become a burden, uh, I wouldn't do it. So I forced myself to take a little time off to catch my breath. And uh, before I go any further, when after I had mentioned that on Twitter, that I'd just kind of gotten burned out. Now, I'll refer to what kind of brought me out of that uh, a little bit or helped bring me out of that um, besides just the respite itself. But um, to all the people that reached out just to make sure I was okay, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. I, I, I really, the text messages and instant messages and DMs and all that stuff like that. And these aren't, you know, yes, I got, I got my friends already had known my really close friends already known that I was kind of tired. I was wearing myself out a little bit because I talked about it with them. Um, but the people that I just sort of know through golf Twitter or Instagram or whatever, like these people reached out to me just to make sure every, everything was okay. And, and I am so, so very thankful that they did that. Um, it, it's just, it meant a lot to me. So I just wanted to publicly say thank you so much to everyone for doing that. Um, but everything's okay. I'm good. I'm healthy. My family is healthy. Um, you know, we're all right. And I'm rested and I'm rejuvenated and I'm excited to get some more people on this show. Uh, beginning with this week, we have someone named Matt Neely on the show. Uh, he is uh, the vice president of product development. And as I say, he's a very young vice president of product development for Tour Edge Golf. And he's got quite the history around golf club design and engineering. And he has been a huge part of what Tour Edge has been rolling out as of late over the past, boy, the past 12 months, probably Tour Edge has just been releasing some incredible golf equipment. And I'm not a huge golf equipment junkie per se, but um, it's been really fun to sort of discover this new gear uh, with my friend, Bill Bush uh, of drivingrangeheroes.com and to sort of get to know the people behind this brand. John Claffey has been on the show. Um, I'm hoping I get David Glad, who is the founder of Tour Edge on the show here sometime maybe in the summer. But uh, it's been fun for me. And I, it's kind of a homegrown Chicago uh, company. And so I appreciate that, you know, those Midwestern sort of uh, values and ethics and and personalities and and things like that. And and it's a company that is is really, again, I, I talk about growing the game. They are they are helping with that, with their products at, and their price points and their value and their quality and the things they're doing. So it's always great 
to talk to someone from that company for me anyway. So hopefully you appreciate it. But it's a it's a fun conversation. Matt, even though he is from uh, the West Coast, born and raised, uh, he is very I tell him very he's a very Midwesterny human. And so I think that's why we get along right away. I'm right off the bat. So, well, but, um, it's a good, it's a good conversation. Um, but anyways, real quick, uh, some things that have been going on, uh, for me, um, I should probably remind you, I'm already, you know, almost 10 minutes into this intro and I've, I've failed to ask what I always need to ask, which is please subscribe to the show. If you're new to the show, uh, thank you for being here, uh, and and subscribe and rate and review it. It always does great things, uh, to get more ears, uh, to get the show to more ears, um, which is always fun. And, um, and yeah, and, and if you haven't, uh, checked out my YouTube channel, it's at Chris McEwen on YouTube, uh, doing weekly shows there with the aforementioned Bill Bush, um, around gear talk and around just sort of the golf little world that we live in. And then, uh, we just released, a, a, our first golf vlog of 2021 where he and I, and uh, Adam Fonseca of golfunfiltered.com go out to Cog Hill and play in a very snowy uh, golf course and uh, hit some fun shots and had a good time. Um, so go check that out. And then finally, and I I kind of referred to this earlier, uh, the Talking Golf Getaways podcast with uh, Mitch Lawrence and Darren Bunch, a podcast that I helped produce for them. Uh, they had uh, a guest on the show this week. Um, Augie, Augustine Pisa. Uh, he is a golf course architect uh, in Mexico. And um, he that listening to that conversation, of course, I listened to it while it was being recorded. I listened to it while I was producing it. Uh, listened to it again to listen for, you know, at the final product. That his energy, Augie's energy around the world of golf and the work that he has put in to become what he is today and his perspective on the game and his perspective on nature and life and, and everything really just sort of, it's, it's so inspiring. And so if you're, if you're listening to this one, thank you. But, um, I wouldn't be too upset if you just stopped this one for now, went and listened to golf, golf and talk or talking golf getaways, uh, with Augie and then came back to this one. I won't hold it against you. Uh, I almost, uh, recommend it, but at any Whenever you get a chance, I would highly, highly recommend that conversation. Um, it's just, it was so great. Um, but let's get back to this conversation. As I mentioned before, it's Matt Neely, Tour Edge Golf, and we talk about all sorts of things, you know, from a golf equipment perspective to how he fell in love with golf. But we we kick things off by just sort of reminiscing about when when he joined Tour Edge and all the things that sort of happened that none of us saw happening uh, about a year ago this week. So without further ado, let's talk to Matt Neely. All right, Matt, uh, you are currently the VP of product development for Tour Edge. Is that accurate? Yes, sir. That is correct. Vice President okay. of Product Development. Yep. When did you, uh, you're kind of young to be a VP. Yeah, uh, you know, so I got an opportunity at Torridge about, uh, well, I guess it was about a year and a half ago now. Uh, and, you know, we had some really good conversations. And uh, luckily enough, I was able to convince them that I was the right guy for the job. Uh, 
showed them my stuff and they, uh, they believed it. So, you know, but here we are a year and a half later and I think we've got some pretty good product and, uh, you know, uh, my, my bluffs and, uh, the tales I told them, they, they, <laughs> they were true. So, <laughs> right. You, so you, you kind of started at an interesting time, uh, for, for tour edge and for golf and it's kind of like for what has happened since you started there. Yeah, I did. It was, it was crazy. So I started in uh, October of 2019. So just about a year and a half ago now. So, you know, the first couple months with kind of just like, you know, drinking from the fire hose, just trying to figure out what was going on, what we had to do, what all the product that was coming out, what we, you know, cause I I'm sure, you know, but at Torridge, we've got three different product lines of all. So it was just, it was crazy. The first couple, first couple months were wild. Um, but then things were really rolling and we were feeling good through January, February. Uh, and then it was, I mean, almost a year ago today, I was looking back. So my daughter's turning two tomorrow. So, uh, a year ago we were flying down to Dallas for her birthday and, you know, coronavirus was still just like a, a twinkle. I remember a couple of, uh, you know, my wife's, uh, uncles, like we're giving, uh, you know, elbow bumps at the party and stuff. And I was like, okay, that's kind of weird. And then, you know, I remember flying back and like my wife and uh, child were, were hanging around for a little bit more in Dallas. And it was like two days later. And my wife was like, you need to go to the grocery store. You need to get us water and rice and canned foods and whatever. I was like, Oh my God. I was like, I, what is going on? And you know, I it know. was just, it was so crazy how quickly things like, you know, just got crazy and the world kind of changed. Uh, you know, at least for us, it really felt like almost overnight. It was, it was wild. And, you know, and then we really saw, uh, it was, it was a scary two or three months in the golf industry too. I mean, you yeah. know, March, April and and May were really, you know, pretty much everything was shut down because, you know, we were coming out of winter. So up here, nobody was golfing yet. And, right. you know, then it was, you know, places like California was shutting down and, so it was, it was a, a scary, crazy time. Uh, so it was, it was a pretty wild, you know, and we had just moved up here to Chicago and we were like, oh boy, this isn't, this isn't good, you know, but uh, really luckily, and you know, I, you know, you've probably heard this from some of the other folks, you know, it's, uh, it was one of the few sports and activities that people could start doing once we got to May, June. And, you know, I, I think with the product we make at Torridge, kind of the various price points we target uh, really we've been in a really good spot and we've been really, uh, really lucky to, to have what happened. Um, you know, it's, it's been horrible, but, uh, you know, for golf, it's, it's exciting for golf and we hope a lot of these new golfers stick around. So. Yeah. And I've, I mentioned it to, to Claff, our, our pal, John over mm-hmm. there, yeah. <laughs> um, that, uh, I feel like with this rebirth of golf as the people's game, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, I've called the tour edge stuff kind of the people's equipment. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it's this, it's, it's low cost, high quality stuff. That's it. And really, so I'll, I'll tell you um, a story about the, uh, and I wanted to ask you how much it's funny that you mentioned when you, when you come into the uh, the company like tour edge and where they were right before they released a ton of stuff. So like when yeah. you talk about drinking from the fire hose, I can only imagine. Um, but I got my hands on a set of the, the new hot launch five twenty ones, right? Okay. The, uh, the, the E series. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the moment I hit them they're I mean, they're the easiest clubs I've ever hit. Uh, unless you want to hit a, a slice, then it's really yeah. hard to do. Um, but I, I ended up giving a, a set to my son who has never, ever played golf before. Um, and he like that, that's going to be his gateway drug into the game because it's going to make it so much fun. Those clubs are so easy to hit. They, they do just launch the golf ball. Um, 
And so, yeah, I mean, he's, he's an example. We, we, he and I went out with my two daughters um, for Father's Day last year. It was the only time my kids have, have ever gone golfing with me. And, um, you know, it happened. It was, yeah. it was, it was like a legit origin story right there. My own kids. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Really. They just, <laughs> they, they understood how much fun it was. And, uh, I saw each of them hit one of those shots where it's like, that's it. You're in all right? it takes. <laughs> all it takes is that, that one shot every round, at least, yeah. you know, every time then, you go out or, you know, <laughs> right. And then, but what's going to happen is like all these new golfers who go and get like the easier to hit stuff, you know, through, yeah. through tour edge, but that's going to, create this brand loyalty for you guys for years and years and years as they, as they get better, they'll just continually move up in your, cause you cover, you guys run the gamut in, in, you know, uh, equipment for every type of golfer. It's really, uh, it's just so great. It's so impressive. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's been the, you know, those are the, the, the really hot products throughout, uh, you know, the, the pandemic here have really been, uh, the hot launch and bazooka stuff has just been, been flying off the shelf. Like, uh, if you come out to our warehouse, we've, you know, our warehouse is like empty. The stuff comes in and goes straight out because it's just getting ordered like crazy because these are all people that are just getting into golf, looking for something fairly entry level, relatively decent priced. And, you know, the hope is, and, and what I think we're seeing happen with the exotics product is that the people are picking up the hot launch stuff, the bazooka stuff. And, you know, they're seeing how easy it is to hit. It's really, you know, it's really easy to get into. The cost mm-hmm. is pretty, uh, is really competitive. Uh, but then, you know, once you're ready to get a little better and get a little more serious, we've got something for that too. And I think that's something that we have at Tor Edge that a lot of the other big guys don't have. Uh, and you know, that product in that lower cost segment, we design it for those people. Like it's designed to be really easy to hit like the E521 stuff, you know, there's oh. not really anything out there that's designed with as like singular a purpose as the E521 product. It's just designed like to make golf fun. Like it's not going to go the longest of anything, you know, it's going to go far. It's going to be really easy to hit though, but you're going to get the ball going forward up in the air and relatively straight. And you're not going to have that, you know, big massive slice that's so common for beginning golfers. So, you know, and that's, and that's what we've seen in all of our testing on that E521 stuff. It's really been, you know, exciting to see. And and it's really fun to put that in people's hands, especially the fairway wood. Like, you know, these are people, some people, fairway woods are really hard to hit anyway. So I know. Yeah. You know, but like the E521 fairway wood, you can just hit it. And like, of course, there's no magic cure all. Like it's not going to go straight magically every time, but it's at least going to go out there and hopefully get up in the air and, you know, you'll be able to advance the ball with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, um, so, I, I, I have this, this huge smile on my face while we're talking about these E521s because um, it was, I think back to the first time I hit them and I was with two other friends, two other golfers. <clears throat> and um, we, we met at the driving range and, uh, to, you know, to give them a go, we had the E and the C series. Um, mm-hmm. and so we were kind of doing some comparison testing and stuff. And, uh, and the first time I hit the fairway wood for the, from the, the E series, I actually literally laughed out loud. I like for real LOL because it was so silly. Like it was just, I think I'd, I'd said that's when I'd come up with the, uh, the term cheat code. It was a yep. cheat code for golf because they're, they're just so much fun to hit. It's so, it's just, crazy. And yeah. I, from that point out, I was like, I got to get these in my hand, the hands of my kid, because this is it. This is how he'll get involved in the game because, yeah. um, he, you know, he has, yeah, like you said, you have to have some hand-eye coordination and some ability and he has, he has enough to be dangerous. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, you know, combine that with this, with the E stuff and, uh, it's just a match made in heaven. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. And you know, my my favorite uh, my favorite test subject is is my dad because you know he's a he's a twenty five handicapper, uh, mm-hmm. slower swing speed. Uh, but he also has no like preconceived notions of what a golf club should be or what it looks like. You know, I kind of the opposite. We'll get into my golf story, but you know, I I got my dad into golf uh, as versus instead of vice versa. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, but he's the best test subject because he'll just pick it up and just swing it. He's not like, Oh, this looks funny or this looks (laughs) like it's going to go left or whatever. He just swings it. And it's always, you know, with like the E stuff, it's just so easy for him to hit. And so that's, you know, he's, he's my favorite test subject because he doesn't come into anything with any preconceived notions. And that's sometimes the toughest thing to do, yep. um, you know, for a seasoned golfer, somebody who plays a lot of golf, you have an idea in your head of what a golf club should look like or what it needs to look like or what it needs to feel like, whatever that might be. Yeah. So, but yeah, yeah. I, I think the E, the E five, two, one stuff, you know, and that's not to discount the C five, two, one stuff. That's, it's really good too. But as far as just being easy to hit and easy to play, um, you know, you really can't beat our, our E five, two, one lineup. Yeah. And and we'll, we'll get into the, the, uh, kind of the nuts and bolts of the, the new seven twenty one stuff that you sure. guys just released. Um, but we talk about how it's, you know, an entry level price and entry level, mm-hmm. you know, you know, um, kind of set of clubs, but then even your like high end stuff, like your really good stuff. Like I've got the 223 wood in my bag. Um, you know, I've got right here, I've got a 721 driver. Um, nice. Okay. That stuff. I mean, that is, I would put that up against any, any driver, any three wood on the market today. And it's still way, way cheaper. You yeah. Know? And so, I mean, that's, that's the coolest thing I think, you know, at towards, like, like I said, like, you can, we can step in the game at the most affordable price, like with our bazooka stuff. And then it's a slight step up to our hot launch stuff. And then again, it's a step up to exotics, but it's still not the step up to the other big boys. But because, you know, Torridge, we kind of operate, uh, we're still relatively small compared to some of these other companies. So we're able to pump all the technology into it without as much of the overhead as some of the bigger guys. So that's what allows us to, you know, have product that competes and, has all the tech features that all the other product has that, you know, all the big boys have while being a hundred, two hundred dollars less in our premium driver, which, you know, and if our, our biggest challenge is to get in the conversation, like if you're going to go to PJ tour superstore or whatever and grab three drivers to hit, it's getting tour edge to be one of them, because if it is, it will stack right up against the big boys. It's just getting into that conversation and the folks that we do get to convert and get into our stuff, they don't turn back because they know the stuff performs just as well. And they're going to save a hundred, 200 bucks and be able to go get a, a new wedge, you know, right. or, or something like that. Like it's not small potatoes. So, and if you buy a driver fairway and hybrid, you know, you all of a sudden save $500 and okay, you can go get a set of irons. So, yeah. You know, I think that's really the coolest thing that we're able to do. And it's always at the forefront of our mind when we're developing and working on stuff is, is being fairly price conscious on things, but we never sacrifice performance. Like we put everything up on the robot and it, it all stacks up and all performs as good, if not better than all the big boys. So yeah. that's uh, one of the really cool things that we've been able to do. Yeah. All right. So you're not the marketing manager. That's Claff. So he'll, he'll be happy about that conversation, but let's talk about, <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk about the product development side and let's go kind of go back in time with you a little bit. Okay. Um, so you started with a, a little company called, um, Adams golf. Yes. Correct? Yeah. I started, what were you doing started there. Yeah. So at Adams golf, I was a CAD slash design engineer. 
Um, so my first job out of, out of college was not in golf, but it was what I really wanted to do, uh, was, was be a golf club. When I found out that was like a job that there were engineers <laughs> who designed golf clubs, I was like, right. Cause you're a mechanical engineer, but yeah, mechanical I, engineer okay. yeah. played golf. And you know, that was like, Oh wow, there's engineers that just design golf clubs. I was like, well, that sounds awesome. But as you might imagine, there's not that many people that do that. And when people do get those jobs, they are, there's not a lot of hiring in that world. Like it's just, and it's also really hard to just get started in it and be an entry yeah. level employee. There's just not that many openings. So, you know, I would scour all the job boards. I'd harass all the companies with emails, you know, usually I didn't hear much back. So I, I got a job in Florida, uh, you know, working for a, a government contractor, some really cool stuff. It was a lot of fun, but still every month I'd scour all the job websites, all the, all the golf equipment, uh, websites, uh, and found an opening at Adams golf and applied and, uh, was lucky enough to get it. So that was kind of my, my kickstart in the golf industry. So yeah, it was really exciting and, and a super cool place to work. Um, you know, and I'm so glad that Adams, you know, so I've experienced a couple different golf companies, but I'm really, really glad that Adams was my introduction to the introduction to the golf world because, you know, we, we had a pretty, a reasonable sized team, but still very small. Mm -hmm. And so at Adams, you know, you really expected, like, if this is your project, uh, let's say it's a hybrid or whatever, it was really your hybrid from cradle to grave. So you were taking it from the initial concept, like, what is this product? What are we going to put on it? you know, the very first prototypes all the way through production and manufacturing. And, you know, because Adams was a little bit smaller, we were able to do that. Now, some of the bigger companies work a little bit differently or a little more segmented. But with yeah. Adams, I was really able to get a taste of the entire product development process in golf. And, you know, it was it was a lot of fun. Got to work on some really cool products and with some really cool people, too. Are there um, are there sort of uh, is, is that was that a a prep course kind of for the tour edge model. Cause I would imagine you have with again, tour edge is being a relatively smaller company mm -hmm. that you have your fingers in a lot of different sort of pots at the same time. You know, you don't just do X thing and stay in your lane. You have to kind of, you know, yeah, definitely. It, it's, uh, it's, it's very similar. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's not like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not just the, you know, and at some of the other companies, you might just be the, uh, the CAD engineer for irons. And then there's another guy who is the manufacturing engineer for irons. And it's not yeah. even all irons. It's one segment of irons and one, se and you know, at different scales, that's just necessary to do that. But mm -hmm. you know, we are, we do have to wear many hats. Uh, so it might be irons, metal woods, whatever. And you know, while my title is VP of, of product development, I'm still pretty hands-on uh, in CAD uh, with vendor relations and all that stuff. You know, we have a team that's helping out too, but really we're all kind of wearing all these different hats uh, and, you know, we all work together to make sure it all works. Um, but it's, it's kind of my favorite part of the process because it's, that was the tougher thing at, you know, at the bigger companies was like being more hands-off in some different areas. I really like the part of the process where it's like, okay, this is, this is my fairway wood to work on and I'm going to make sure it's, it's right all the way through, yeah. you know, from all the way from concept to finished cosmetics to, you know, final parts in the warehouse. Um, and so that's, that's definitely a really cool thing that we, we have here at Torridge. That's cool. Yeah. Did, yeah. So then after Adams, was it, uh, tailor-made? Yeah. So, okay. so I, I started at Adams, uh, I don't know the exact, I guess it was 2011 or maybe, maybe early 2012. Uh, about a week after I started at Adams, it was announced that uh, TaylorMade had purchased Adams. Okay. So okay. I just moved. I just moved from Florida to uh, Adams was in Plano, Texas, so just north of Dallas. And 
you know, I had a, a little bit of an, oh, oh no, <laughs> you know, I mean, I was very happy and excited to be in golf, but I was like, oh, well, TaylorMade just bought Adams. I was like, well, that was a fun, a fun week of <laughs> fun week in the office. So I was like, I said, I'll pack it up. Um, but you know, we had about two and a half years, uh, where we were kind of, we still operated more or less as our, our own company. Yeah. Um, I think the golf industry started changing a little bit. Um, you know, the things weren't selling quite as hot and quite as crazy as they were. Um, so eventually Taylor made, you know, made the decision to shut down operations of Adams golf in Texas. Um, mm -hmm. they kept a, a few of us engineers, uh, on staff. Uh, so I actually moved to Carlsbad. Uh, which is actually where I grew up. So I moved oh, back okay. home. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, not into my home, but to my home area. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was a, it was a big change and, you know, a little bit of that. So, you know, TaylorMade was obviously a completely different machine than Adams, you know, the biggest, the, the big, you know, the, the yeah. 8,000 pound gorilla or whatever yeah. you want to call it. So it was, a, right. it was a very different experience there. And, you know, we were kind of segmented more into our, you know, very specific roles, which, you know, was awesome. But I did have, a uh, my, uh, girlfriend at the time, she's now my wife, uh, was back in Texas. Um, so, you know, I spent some time at TaylorMade, uh, and then got an awesome opportunity, uh, to get a job at Nike golf, uh, back yeah. in Texas, uh, at this the other really, Fort this Worth. This is really what I want to talk to you about. Okay. Nike golf. What's yeah, that? Go ahead. So, keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, got that opportunity and it was, you know, it was a promotion, uh, and it was back to Texas and it was with Nike. I was like, Oh wow. I kind of had always had a dream of like working at Nike. And yeah. I, I was like, Oh, here it is. Like, this is going to be awesome. Like I'm going to work at Nike golf and you know, who knows, like hopefully be there forever, maybe move to Portland at some point. And I was like, <laughs> Nike's awesome. I was like, I love Nike. Um, you know, and, uh, spoiler alert, Nike shut down. So, right. <laughs> uh, at that point, you know, so I was at Nike for just over a year, uh, and it was, you know, an all hands on deck meeting. I was like, Oh, oh this what, wonder what this is about. And it was yeah. like, Oh, great. All right. Uh, turn in your computer and all that jazz. So it was, you know, that was, that was oh, crazy, man. crazy. And, and, uh, yeah, disappointing. <laughs> yeah. No. So I guess you weren't there during, so like Nike, probably like so many other golfers. Um, so that was my entry to, that was the very first set of clubs I ever bought, uh, mm -hmm. <clears throat> because I didn't start playing until I was 30 years old or so. Um, so I had, you know, like probably a million other men in the world. I had a bag of clubs that I mm -hmm. traveled with, um, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, as I moved house to house, but it was like, just whatever. Um, but I had first, my first set of, of uh, irons, um, were actually the, uh, the mock speed, uh, oh, irons okay. uh -huh. from Nike. And then I just, so the two twenty three wood that I referred to just replaced, um, my Nike three wood. Wow. What was That's, it like a VRS? It was the speed? VRS covert. Okay, yeah. cover. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it's it was good driver. There were a lot of those. Uh, we could. There were a lot of those. We couldn't get out of guys' bags uh, on tour at Nike with the new product. It was great. I, three wood. I lo I love that thing. I loved it. I still have it. I'm not gonna. You know. Oh, not understand. Gonna yeah. yeah. Oh, you should see my garage. So <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. But yeah, like I got into like a literal like literally an argument with uh, my pal Bill Bush, who's a big, he's a big tour edge proponent. Uh -huh. um, he introduced me to, I mean, he, to the point where he called me an idiot if I didn't switch <laughs> from the Nike, <laughs> to like if I didn't replace my three wood with the two twenties, like you're an idiot. If you do, and this is one of my best friends. I was like, all right, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, it's, it's tough. I mean, when you have those products that you, that you just love that like something just works about it and, 
you know, I mean, it's something at Tor Edge and at, at past companies that, that we deal with all the time with Tor staff. You know, they've just got products in their bag that like, yeah. and, and you see it like Tiger Woods is just an example. Like even at Nike, it was impossible to get some of the things out of his bag. And, you know, you have a putter, you have these, these things that like they mean something to you. And, you know, you can be shown data on a screen that like this other one is better, but it right. just doesn't matter because you've right. got this like affinity, like, and it's totally understandable. That's, that's kind of one of the cool things about golf, like, is that, you know, there, there's so much like, I don't know, yearning for equipment, like so much equipment. You know, I think back to, you know, my days of getting very into golf equipment, like in high school and like some of these legendary golf clubs, like, you know, that I was just a total golf equipment nerd, as you might imagine, but just some of these, you know, I, I don't know, random Bridgestone drivers that like where people were touting and like, Oh, I have to get this thing. And like, I still think about those clubs and like, I wonder where those are, you know, it's like, <laughs> it, it's, it's just kind of crazy uh, how, you know, and that's a, a really cool thing with designing product that people go by is like, I hope that there's some product like that, that I've designed that like might be 25 years old someday, but somebody's like, ah, this is the one I love this club. I'm never getting rid of it. So I didn't even think <laughs> about that. That's totally true. And like, you could, you could just like, you know, design the 721 driver and someone falls in love with it, plays it for 10 years maybe, and mm -hmm. then hands it off to you know, the next generation, yeah. and, you know what I mean? And they grow up with the exotics, uh, in their bag. And like you, that came out of your head. Like yeah, you designed yeah. that thing, you know, but, that's, I never even thought of that. That's crazy. And that's one of the things. So like, you know, I, I talked about my, my first job briefly, you know, so we were government contractors. So we, we, you know, designed these, uh, you know, mostly was working in, uh, cooling systems for some really intricate, like aircrafts and stuff. Okay. Um, and it was really cool, very technical, um, but we'd send off these things and like, okay, it was like, all right, thanks guys. And we'll use it or whatever. And it's like, it's never like, I'm going to go like, Oh, look under the hood of an F 35 and be like, there it is. Like, that's <laughs> what I worked on. So, you know, while being in golf was like the ultimate goal working in consumer goods is, was still like, you know, that was secondary. Like that was also a really something I really wanted to get into. So getting into consumer goods in golf was like huge because it's really cool to like work on something and then go to a store and see it and yes. see people hitting it and go to a golf course and like, see like something that you worked on or designed or whatever it is. That's, that's really cool to, to see and experience. And, you know, that's, that's, that's probably the best part of my job is like, you know, going to demo days or seeing, uh, just anyone, like I love going to the, you know, unfortunately it didn't happen this year, but like the PGA show yeah. and watching thousands of people like hit the stuff that we've worked on for so long. And like, you know, hopefully a bunch of people don't hit it and say, I oh, got this thing sucks. Uh, you know, most people aren't that rude. They'll say they like it anyway, but right. you know, you can always tell when somebody hits it and it's like, wow, they're hitting it. Well, yeah. like there, you see a smile on their face and it's like, all right, that's cool. That's the, that's the best part of the job. I mean, that never even occurred to me that, uh, <laughs> that you could go and you could walk it. Yeah. You could walk into a PJ superstore and just like see what you made on a shelf. Uh, yeah. Yep. It's cool. That's Yeah. That's incredible. So let's talk about some of the stuff. Well, I want to actually go back to, um, you had talked about when you started, uh, mm -hmm. drinking from the fire hose and like you, so I, I can't even imagine coming into a company like tour edge with everything that they had going at the time. And then, uh, working with someone like David Glad, mm -hmm. who like is a big deal. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah. he's been doing that forever. And, and so how do you sort of get accustomed? How do you sort of, uh, like 
where do you start when you, when you start a position like that? Like, how do you even like, where do you pick, especially, so it's, it's E521, C521, the 220 stuff that came out. Mm -hmm. Uh, You had the wingman putter, you've got the 721 stuff that just came out. I mean, you walked into just this, you talk about a fire hose, that's probably an an understatement. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. So actually, uh, the wingman putter was, uh, was part of my, uh, interview. Uh, really? So, so, you know, we, we had been talking like almost all summer. Uh, I was talking with, uh, Dave Glaude, uh, as well as John Craig, uh, who's our executive VP who's kind of, you know, been coming in and doing a lot of, uh, you know, really helping out on our marketing and sales huh. team, uh, um, you know, interviewed, uh, talked on the phone a lot and, you know, it was, it was kind of like one of those things like, okay. And it was part of like where, you know, I've, I've obviously sold myself and told a great story and they were like, well, you know, can you show us? And I was like, yeah, I was like, what, what we can do something. And, you know, they kind of had this idea for a putter, gave me a sketch and I kind of took it back and basically, you know, in my spare time, like engineered and designed this putter. Is so that, that was right? kind of over the summer. Yeah. With, <laughs> so that was, that was part of my like interview process was like, show them like, Hey, I actually can do this. Like we can, I can come in and we can, we can do all this stuff together. Um, so that was really my first like introduction to how Tor Edge worked, which was actually great because like before I came in, I, I had a feel for how to work with Dave, how to work with the team, how the team worked and all that stuff. Okay. Um, it was like a, it was a nice introduction to how, how things might go. Um, so then, you know, I, it went, well, it went well enough, uh, that I got the job. Uh, and so came in kind of at the tail end of 220. Uh, we were pretty much already in production of 220. So the 521 okay. stuff was really my first uh, product that was like, you know, from scratch, like I'm working on it. Um, wow. but so, you know, basically, you know, get involved on all the emails, all the vendor communications, all the engineering CAD, all the drawings, like right away. Um, and so really kind of saw how things were working at Tor Edge and, and how it was going. And so, like I said, it was like drinking from the fire hose. Um, but you know, Dave and everyone, Dave's, you know, everyone at Torridge is, is awesome to work with, but you know, Dave who like kind of hands handles like all the design, uh, all of the cosmetics, a lot of the engineering, all that stuff really working hand in hand with him. And he made it really easy to like, you know, pick up the torch on some of these different products and getting a really good idea of what he anticipates, like what we're trying to do together. Um, and you know, so my background in kind of the CAD and engineering world and his background in kind of more of the design and like what a golf club needs to look like and Mm -hmm. what the market wants and all that stuff. We've really been able to like work really well together, I think to make some like really cool product with some upgraded tech features and, you know, even better thought behind where we end up on like our center of gravity properties to achieve certain launch conditions, certain spin conditions, all that stuff. We're able to get like way further down into the weeds than I think Torridge was previously. So I think it's been, you know, with 521 and 721, it's kind of like a pretty, you know, and the product was really good before that, but I think we've just taken another step even further. Um, and you know, along with tying in with marketing, I think we're doing an even better job of like making sure that the tech features we have make sense from a marketing standpoint, that they know what we're working on so that Claffy can have, you know, a really good visibility to what marketing features come up with. And, you know, they're the ones that come up with the names that we've got on things like Vibercore and, you know, those kind of things. Like I'm I'm an engineer, so that's not, that's (laughs) not what I do. I, I say like, Hey, here's this thing. 
and you know we're filling it with this TPU, and we've got TPU. I was like, what if we just called it TPU? And they're like, well, that's <laughs> not going to work because they say you stupid engineer. So you know, so so that's where like that gets passed off to them. But that's been really part part of the the cool part of Torridge is like, you know, working so closely with everyone because we're all in this you know small world here in Batavia, uh, and you know, we, we all are in it together too, to like figure this out. And that's, that's one of the cool things. And that gets lost a lot at some of the bigger companies when things have to go through 25 different layers to just get yep. there. And, you know, and that's one of the greatest things of having engineer being engineering, being so tied in with marketing. And you kind of joked about it that, you know, I was doing my marketing, wearing my marketing hat, but you know, we have to do that a lot too, because I have a different side of the marketing story that Claff tells Sure. Uh, and he has a different side of the engineering story that I tell. So I think together they work together really well. Um, so, and it's, it's a lot of fun to, you know, hear what Claff has to say, uh, after we get done designing and engineering the product, I'm always, always curious to see what his take on things are. So it's always fun. I work with a lot of engineers too. And, mm-hmm. um, and cause I'm on the marketing side as well. And mm-hmm. I feel like, like engineers are actually very creative people. It's just like a different kind of creativity. Yeah. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. All right. Like just you, you make the thing, you build it, you do all the really complicated stuff and I'm going to call it diamond face. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. On top. <laughs> to be fair, diamond face may have been the easiest marketing name right. of all time. You know, here's That's this, uh, here's this thing. I actually have a, a piece here. Here's this thing. Oh, it's, yeah. it's the face. It's got a bunch of diamonds on it. What should we call it? Uh, how about diamond face? So that may have been the, 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 the easiest layup of, uh, of all time. That's awesome. That's, <laughs> so how does it, so with the, with the new 721 stuff, mm-hmm. um, did, did David design it and hand it off to you? How does that work within the design product development space? I, I have no idea how that, how that kind of like, what's the back and forth there? Yeah. So uh, we kind of, uh, you know, we basically start by looking at the current product. So we look at 220 or whatever was before 220 or other exotics product. And like, you know, we kind of say, okay, what did we like about 220 and what are our design targets for the next one? And, you know, at that point we didn't even know what it was called. Uh, We didn't know it was going to be called 721. uh, So we've got a random, you know, number system name, you know, X237. Oh, you guys guys don't do like project names, like, you know, project strawberry shortcake or anything like you don't you're not like a software company or something yeah so we've in the past and i've always tried to avoid those to some degree because sometimes the names like you'll become so fond of them uh, (laughs) and other people will as well and sometimes the name could be okay but it's like one of those things you see it over and over again and all of a sudden that name becomes attached to it and sometimes it will stick and it doesn't end up really being it doesn't make sense for the marketplace. Um, so, and that, that happened at some past companies and it was like, you know, so I prefer the code name, like, you know, just like letter series of numbers, like, you know, again, that might just be me being an engineer and (laughs) I don't have that many many creative code names to come up with, uh, or anything like that. And we don't have a big enough marketing team that class can spend time making code names for all of our different projects. So (laughs) I've just gone with the number system. Um, but, uh, you know, so we'll basically look at the past product. We'll see what else is going on in the marketplace. Cause we all, of course, just like everybody, we go get all the competitor products. We Mm -hmm. put it on our robot. We test it. We see what other people are doing. We hear from our salespeople, like what, what is working out there? Like what, you know, what is, what is our product not doing that somebody else needs to do? And so like, you know, with the transition from 220 to C721, 
you know, the couple big things were like, okay, we want a little bit more traditional head shape. That was some of the feedback on 220 was it was a mm. little bit like triangular looking because mm-hmm. that was kind of the goal on 220 was to get the MOI like right. really, really, really high, get the CG pulled back really, really far. Yep. And they accomplished that goal like really, really well. We had incredibly high MOI, really good CG properties. Um, but we were just having, you know, maybe a little bit too much spin and we weren't quite getting the launch we wanted. So those were kind of the things. So so kind of started like, all right, what kind of head shape can we fit into this bubble or envelope? And so that's kind of where I start working in the CAD world. And so I'll come up with something that kind of, I think looks good. And, you know, we've decided to increase the face height by two millimeters or whatever, uh, and do this, you know, and that's like kind of in our design brief. And so we go, we have two 3d printers in the office. Uh, so design it in the CAD print, make a 3d print. And then we all look at it together and we say, okay, this is looking good, or this looks like a turd or whatever it might be, or like, (laughs) this is close, but let's try to move the heel in a little bit. And, you know, and then, you know, if it is something that's going to affect where we're at in the engineering properties, we've kind of got to make some of those decisions too. Like, okay, if we do this thing, we're not quite going to be able to hit the CG location that we want. So is this trade-off worth it? And that's kind of, you know, a huge portion of the design process is like, weighing the trade-offs between the things that work cosmetically yeah, and the things right. that I'm trying to accomplish from a technical standpoint. Yeah. So, and that's, that's something that like, as an engineer in golf, you just have to realize, like, you can't necessarily do everything you always want to do because sometimes it looks like crap. And you've certainly <laughs> seen products out there that just don't look very good and they don't sell. They might do what they're, you know, supposed to be doing. Sure. Uh, but nobody's going to buy it. So that's, that's one of the trade-offs that we have to deal with in, in engineering. Um, and so that's a big back and forth process. Then when we kind of get to a head shape, we like, that's when we really start hollowing it out. Uh, you know, trying to position the CG where we want it to go. We take a look at all our available tech features that we might have, whether that's movable weights, diamond face 2.0, integrating carbon wings, like an upgrade from just the carbon crown, all of that stuff. So we kind of, you know, look at this big menu that we have, uh, how much the product's going to cost is of course, another big one. Um, And so those are all kind of the things we look at throughout the entire design process. And eventually we end up with uh, the product that you see in front of you. So it's a, it's a long process and, you know, really we're, you know, before, you know, so even before 721 launches, we're six months into 721's replacement. Like we've already been thinking (laughs) about what the replacement is for 721. And that's one of the craziest things like in golf is it's like, Sometimes by the time, and that's, that goes for so many products, but by the time sure. something launches, like to me, I'm like, oh, this is, I was like, that's old. Like this is launching now. I thought this launched six <laughs> months ago, you know? So, right. <laughs> and it's right. like, we're still dealing with manufacturing stuff and, you know, getting product in. It's like, oh, I thought, thought we were done with that. Like uh, that, that was, uh, we signed off on that four months ago. So <laughs> that's kind of one of the, one of the crazy things, like just, you know, how long these product cycles are and how long it takes to get something to get something right. But that's the biggest thing. Cause if we try to rush it and go too fast, then we're not going to end up where we want to end up. So getting a, yeah. getting a big head start on the product, uh, but being able to have enough flexibility to see what the marketplace is doing, because something that we're, we think a couple months before we launched seven two one, or even as we see seven two one and like, okay, well we did accomplish these goals, but we accomplished it at the sacrifice of this. And that's just not quite working. So what things can we improve upon for whatever the next product is called? X one, two, eight, nine, seven, four. So, (laughs) so that that was a little long winded, but you know, that's, that's kind of how we go about through, go through the design process, at least at Tor Edge. 
Yeah. I mean, I don't know about anyone else listening, but I find that stuff just fascinating how, um, like, so you don't really have, maybe you have a little bit of physics in mind and and data in mind when you're designing something, but really ultimately you're going to design a head shape that you think will work with the physics that, you know, David Glad has thought of or wants to try or whatever. Yeah, definitely. And there are just, there are just certain things with like head shape that we know that we can't do that, you know, either from a manufacturing standpoint or from an aerodynamic standpoint that aren't going to work uh, or just from a mass property standpoint that aren't going to work. You know, like if we raise up the, we might think it looks really nice if we raise up the crown of the driver by eight millimeters, but we know that that's going to have a massive effect on our up and down center gravity, which we know is very important to performance. So it's like, sometimes that's just a non-starter and like, it's like, Oh, I really like how this looks. And it's like, well, we've got to find a way to make this other thing work because that's something we can't sacrifice. Now there might be another decision further down the road. That's like, you know, we have to make something this thickness because it looks better. And so we can go look and say, okay, well this, this, uh, you know, trade-off is not very high. Like we're only giving up point one of a millimeter versus one millimeter. And sometimes, you know, those things are acceptable. Like we, mm-hmm. we can do those things. And sometimes, you know, you just have to, you can look at it and everybody says, okay, will this change? You know, if we make this change, will it sell more or less product? And that's something that we kind of have to look at sometimes, especially sure. when we're up against the gun, it's like, okay, is this thing a little bit off or do we have to make this change? And it's like, okay, well, are we going to sell more product if we make this change? You know, is this okay? Or yeah. are we going to be, is this going to be detrimental? So we kind of have to look at a lot of those things as well. So Man. there's a lot that goes into it. A lot that goes into it. <laughs> I've never been happier to be on the marketing side. Like, just give me the, just give me the thing and I'll. <laughs> and, and yeah. And that, that is sometimes, that's the only time I ever get frustrated with Claff is when he's asking for things too early. I'm like, I don't I have bet. it yet. Okay. I, I don't <laughs> have it. You know, it's not ready. We're getting it right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I would imagine that's, that's true. All right. Let's talk about your, your love of golf and, and when did that happen? I, and I also definitely need to hear how you introduced your own father to the game, but let's start with you. When did it happen? When did the golf get, when did the game grab you and not let go? Uh, so I started playing golf like a little bit, like in third, fourth grade, uh, you know, I took a few lessons, but I wouldn't, I didn't catch the bug yet. You know, my grandma got me a set of golf clubs and some lessons, but I was way more interested in soccer, baseball, okay. uh, basketball, all the other, I don't know, I guess you call more traditional sports. Right. Uh, right. but, uh, it was, I think the summer of like sixth grade, uh, and I had a friend. Uh, Andrew Lombardi in case he's listening, shout out Andrew. <laughs> uh, you know, he was, he was very into golf, uh, and they had uh, summer programs at the, at the golf course there, uh, near me, Encinitas ranch, um, in, uh, in Encinitas, uh, California, okay. uh, just uh, 15 or 20 minutes away from Taylor made Callaway Titleist, uh, sure. uh, that, that, that part of the, that part of the country. Um, you know, and then started doing the summer classes there. And, you know, it was every Wednesday, all the balls you can hit and we'd hit them. And then I, you know, Andrew and I would go to the golf course like every day. And Cineas Ranch was just an incredibly packed golf course. They had a really good junior program. It was like, I think we paid like $40 for the year and then we could play for $15. Uh, wow. no restrictions on weekdays and like on weekends, it, you know, after 1 PM, we couldn't make tea times. So we'd go and it would be like every morning we'd go, we'd get there, you know, at 7 AM, get on the walk on list. We didn't want to get split up. So we'd go on the walk on list as a twosome, which, you know, and so sometimes we'd be at the course for like five hours, like just hitting balls, <laughs> chipping and putting, like oh, waiting man. to get out. And 
you know, eventually we'd get out. But so we were just spending like eight, nine, 10 hours at the golf course. And, you know, I just, I loved it. And I think, you know, more so than any other sport, I just loved golf, how individual it was, you know, like in baseball, I was a pitcher and I love doing that because I was like, and not to say that I don't love team sports and stuff, but like, I like being involved in every single play, like Mm -hmm. as a pitcher, Mm -hmm. that was really nice. And then, you know, go play in the outfield or whatever. And it's like, I'm just sitting here and, you know, same in (laughs) soccer and whatever. So golf, like every single play, yeah, that that's you, true. It's, it's your play. Like nobody yeah. else is stepping in to hit your putt. Of course, there's formats where that happens, but so I really liked that in golf, and so just really got the bug. Um, had another friend that was really into it, and so we were just doing the same thing, like sixth through eighth grade all summer. Um, you know, just at the golf course, like every day, um, and you know, playing a lot of junior golf tournaments, and uh, just really, really into it. Um, and then uh, high school came. I was still pretty into baseball. So I played football and baseball in high school. Unfortunately, baseball was the same time as golf season. Yep. Uh, our, also, our high school had a really, really good golf team. Uh, so I didn't even play on the golf team in, in high school. And I, I don't even know if I, I probably wouldn't have made the varsity team, at least my freshman and sophomore year. Uh, still played all the, all, I still played a ton of golf and still played yeah. tournaments throughout the summer, just didn't play high school golf. Uh, until my senior year, I decided I was over baseball, joined the golf team. Uh, and I, I was a pretty good golfer. Uh, I was probably close to scratch, but I was like the seven man on our high school golf team. Holy we won state, cow. the state championship that year. The other six guys ahead of me all went and played like very serious division one golf. One kid <laughs> went to Pepperdine, one went to oh. university of Chicago. So these were wow. like, these kids were, were way, way better than me. And they were all like freshmen and sophomores too. So you know, it was very quickly that I, I understood and realized that I was uh, not destined or set out for professional golf at all. I, I know, you know, of yeah. course, there's times when any any kid who plays a lot of golf and plays high school golf and, you know, plays in junior golf tournaments and gets, you know, third places, fifth places, whatever. I was I was never that good. But always, you know, it's like, oh, maybe golf could be a dream. But, you know, I I realized pretty early in high school, I was like, these kids are way better than me. I don't have (laughs) quite the work ethic to get as good as them. Uh, I don't have the natural talent. So I was like, all right, golf isn't going to be my I'm not going to be a professional golfer. Now, Um, Now, during this time, though, too, you became a huge gear nerd. Right. Yes. Yes. So how did that uh, happen? What What was it about the the? Were you always kind of mechanical like that? Were you all? Did I mean born an engineer? Yeah. You know. Right. Like that kind of thing. What yeah, grabbed you about the? About I the was. Equipment? Uh, I was always pretty nerdy and pretty good in math and science. My dad's an engineer, so you know that's that's part of it. I, I think my my mom talks about uh, nightmares that my dad gave me in like first or second grade, trying to explain torque to me. Like I would have like night terrors, like about about torque. You know, like trying to teach a a, a six year old uh, what torque is. Um, so so it, you know that that was that. So but it's always been in my you know a part of a passion of mine. Uh, I, I wish I still. I think my mom might have pictures of it in eighth grade uh, for science fair. I made like a golf robot uh you know <laughs> robot it was like a bunch of plywood uh that was all drilled together with a big spring on it that i did you know my science fair project was you know which golf ball goes the farthest uh this robot i think hit the ball probably 40 yards uh i'm calling it i'm using the term robot very liberally you know it was it was like you know standing there i think i was too little to like load it at the time so my dad had to like hold it with his feet and you know load oh, the that's thing and, awesome you know the spring after you know 25 hits 
candidates was was shot. So I, I don't right. think the test results were valid. I don't think they'd stand up uh, here at Torridge. But what um, was your was hypothesis? Always, what was it? What was your hypothesis for the uh, for the experiment? Well, so we uh, I was I was testing uh, if soaking golf balls in water uh, <laughs> would deteriorate them. It was a it was a water hazard test. So we got you know a bunch of. What, I, I think like I actually rode away to some of the golf companies and at least Titleist, they sent me, you know, a dozen golf balls to run my test with. So, Good for them. Um, awesome. so, you know, soaked uh, each ball a different length of time. Uh, and yeah, I, I don't really, I don't think the results, I don't think I had much of a confidence interval, but, uh, you know, I, I, I was doing some pretty nerdy stuff for a seventh and eighth grader for, for science fair. Um, and it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I loved it, but that was kind of where I started to get into the equipment. And then in high school, when I had a little bit of money, uh, or at least mom's credit card, whatever it may have been, um, just started really getting into some of the equipment forums, uh, golf opinions, I think was my first one that transitioned oh, into wow. bomb squad golf. Yeah. Um, so these were, I think, you know, relatively early in the equipment forum days and you know, I just loved it. Like, and that was, you know, I still remember like the, buying, uh, I think it was a tailor-made 300 tour, you know, it was just like all the buzz on, on, you know, all the tour players were playing it or whatever. It was just this, this huge thing. And I was like, you know, so excited. I, I was, I couldn't hit it. I think the one I got was like seven and a half degrees of loft, but I thought it was the coolest <laughs> thing ever. Um, and so I was just, you know, I just kind of became an equipment nerd and I, you know, I started refinishing my own golf clubs, started building my own golf clubs. I, I got like a, you know, a, a uh, a vice and a, a gripping station in my garage. And so I was doing all this stuff, you know, I was, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just, for whatever reason, I really caught the equipment bug, uh, through high school and it was, uh, yeah, it was out of control. Probably it was, <laughs> it was a little out of control. I was, I was a club hoe as, uh, you know, I, they, I would so affectionately call it. Um, oh, that's so, great. Yeah. So, you know, while I wasn't like the greatest golfer, I really, really, really loved it. Uh, and that's not to say I was a bad golfer. I was good enough and, you know, went away to college and played golf in college, but you know, just division three golf, it wasn't anything spectacular, but it was a lot of fun, yeah. uh, because my, you know, my main focus. And like I said, I, I realized I wasn't going to be a golf professional. My main focus was to get a degree in engineering, but the fact that I was able to play golf for four years at school uh, was a massive benefit and That's really awesome. huge and, and kept me into the game. I know if I had gone somewhere else where I hadn't been on the golf team, I might have fallen away from it a little bit. Um, you know, I stopped buying as much equipment once I got to college because there were other things to spend my money on and uh, <laughs> other thing to spend my time with. Uh, right. But, uh, you know, throughout high school, it was it was pretty bad. So, <laughs> <laughs> OK, so how did you introduce your dad to the game? Yeah. So introduce might not be quite right, but I'll say so. He he wasn't that into golf, like, and right. really it, it was more or less my grandma that kind of, uh, got me like golf clubs and got me, you know, really thought it would be a good idea for me to, you know, try golf. You know, she always thought it was a great sport. Uh, my mom, I think played some golf growing up, but they, you know, never played, uh, at all. Um, but you know, in college, when I would come home for a summer or Christmas, or we'd go on Christmas vacation or Thanksgiving or whatever, the only thing that I wanted to do was like, all right, we're going to Las Vegas. Like I want to go play this golf course or whatever. Yeah. And so my mom or my dad would just come along and they weren't like, you know, they were afraid to play golf, like with other people. I didn't really want to, cause it's a scary thing to do if you're not it, good at golf to like, sure. you know, Oh my gosh, we're going to get paired with somebody. Yep. And so that was always a tough, a tough sell for them, for either of them. 
Um, but so throughout, you know, they started realizing that like, if I want to spend, if they want to spend time with me on vacation, like they're going to have to golf, you know, cause that's what I want to do. Uh, and so sometimes they would ride in the cart with me. One of them would come, they'd switch after nine or whatever, Once, you know, that yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah. And eventually they started thinking like, oh, this is stupid. Like, why don't we just start playing? And so we started playing more frequently together, you know, started, my dad was in the military so we could go play, um, you know, Camp Pendleton Marine base. Yeah. Uh, and those courses weren't as crowded and as busy and they, we could always play just the three of us, um, got more comfortable with it. And, you know, so that was like, and so then we start going on vacations and we'd go play golf together and we would do that. And so, it, you know, I say that I got my dad into golf. It wasn't quite that extreme, but to my dad, if it weren't for me, my mom and dad wouldn't be playing the amount of golf that they do. And now right. at least my mom for sure plays more rounds of golf in a year than I do. So really, <laughs> so she's, yeah, That's she's awesome. a member of like four different golf leagues in the Southern California area. Now, uh, you know, COVID has been a little tricky with all that, but you know, she was sure. a member at the Tory Pines women's club, Coronado, uh, the crossings, uh, you know, all the, all the women's golf leagues and, you know, was playing three or four times a week. And I was like, oh, I'm jealous of you. So, yeah. <laughs> right. You know, and they've gotten, they've gotten a lot better and really enjoy it and aren't that worried about getting paired up with people anymore. So, you know, and that's one of the that's toughest awesome. things. And that's why, you know, this whole thing, like all these new people getting into golf and that's just, just kind of what I hope for like some of these golf courses and places, just make it a little thing. If to make it more relaxing and more fun for people and less stressful, because I, I can totally see it. Like, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough that I started golfing at a young age and, mm -hmm. you know, just have that skill and we'll be able to be at least decent at golf if I want to be and can go play and feel comfortable at golf course. But it's really hard when you're getting into it to like, just go out and feel comfortable getting paired with three strangers. Like, you know, you're on display, people feel like it, but yeah, you know, I don't know the toughest thing. And the thing that I tell like my mom and dad, when they were trying to get, you know, when we, we would get paired with somebody or whatever, it was like, this person does not care at all what you're doing as long as you play fast. And, you know, that was <laughs> right. one of the first things I like, you know, and that's what I think some people maybe don't get those lessons and maybe it's not the best thing to teach, but it's like starting out, just don't worry about your score. Like if you're having a bad hole, like pick it up and put it on the putting green, like just have fun. Like we're not here. Nobody cares if you shot a 124 or a 128, like just pick up the ball, have fun, like get into it. And then once you get there, you know, that's when you can start keeping score and start being really serious about it. And you know, now they are, they're both breaking 90 consistently and yeah. you know, they're, they're playing real golf now, but you know, we'd tee it up in the fairway, make it easy, pull it out sure. of the bunkers, like all right. that stuff, you know, and <laughs> I know that that's not like the rules of the game, but it's, it doesn't need to be that it doesn't need to be so serious. And and that's one of the things I think so many golfers just take themselves and the sport way too seriously, but man, amen. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I mean, the other thing too is, um, I think if you want to introduce someone to something like golf, like at least this, this is what I do with my kids who are all, my kids are old. They're, you know, all college age or college graduate even, um, and so I pull, I destroyed all those stigmas as many as possible, as quickly as possible within the first three holes. Like, good. Yeah. Who cares? Yep. Who, like, yeah. You want to play music? Let's play music. Like, yeah. don't be a jerk about it, but we can play music, you know, like, yeah, it's just like anything you go to the, if yeah. you go to the beach and you want to play music, you can play music, but don't be a jerk about it. You right. know? That's, so that's like why not? The general rule, the general rule um, about it should just be, don't be a jerk about it. Right? Yeah. Like, that should, that's just a general rule of life. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, just do whatever you want. Just don't, but I mean, again, they, we got that we played nine holes and the, the first thing they said coming off and off the ninth green was like, 
dad, I'll do this whenever you want. Let's, I want to do this again. It was so much fun. And, uh, and that was, you know, it was just because like you just said, like, yeah, we would pick up sometimes we would have a putting contest on another hole just because we could, you know what I mean? Like just kind of do things just to enjoy the game because the the game is so great that they'll, don't worry, you're going to, you're going to want to keep score eventually. Yeah. Like you're, yeah. You know. <laughs> but don't worry about it now. Like it's right. not like, you know, the first time you step on a basketball court, you're probably not going to be able to dunk, but if you right. keep playing, maybe you will someday. So right. like, don't worry about it. Right. Um, you know, and I think the biggest thing, and I'm starting to get, I'm starting to get my wife into it, uh, a little bit is like, you know, par three courses are just the best place to go oh, and play. And man. cause you can play nine holes in less than an hour. Like yep. if you're having a bad day, like you're going to be done in 20 minutes and right. nobody who's out at a par three course cares that much. Like everybody's there having fun, drinking beers, listening to music, like just go, this person is not worried about what you're doing. So just have fun. Um, and so I think yep. those, those are the places that, you know, really need people need to like, you know, that's where you should get into the game because when you go to a stuffy country club or even a stuffy, any, even municipal facilities, you know, they can feel very intimidating and you're there on the tee and there's a bunch of people around and you know, all that stuff, it can be uh, intimidating for some folks and it's totally understandable. So, you know, getting started in, you know, par threes and all that, that's, and that's where, you know, I got started as a kid and that's where I started playing with my family more were par three courses. And, uh, you know, I think those are the best places to go because, uh, they're really easy, really low key and, uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, this is fun, man. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for doing this. And you know what? I know you're like a California kid and uh, uh-huh. I won't, I won't hold that against you or anything, but you, you really, you really fit into the Midwest. I feel like you're a real, you've got some real Midwestern. Oh, that's, know, that's good to hear. Yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah. it's, uh, the, the year and a half here, I've, I've actually loved it. Uh, I think we've been, I guess I don't really know it. I don't have anything to compare it to, but we've been through two winters thus far and they really, they seem, they've been pretty tame. Um, I mean, I if you're going to call the past, whatever, what, what the last two weeks of February was tame, then you'll be fine. I, I, I guess I I'd say I moving here, I anticipated that the last two weeks of February, that's what it was going to be like from <laughs> December until right. March. So the fact that, you know, yeah, we had, we had like a week of boatload of snow and then we had two weeks of bitter cold. Like, I don't know. I can deal with that. That's not yep. that bad. And this year was the worst because, because of COVID, you know, we didn't go home for Man. Christmas or anything. We've just been yeah. here and, you know, that's kind of sucked, but, uh, you know, I've gotten to spend a lot of extra time with my family, which has been, been awesome. Um, and yeah, everybody here in the Midwest is like almost obnoxiously nice. Um, you know, now coming from Texas, same deal in Texas, everybody's yep. very nice too, but yep, sure. uh, just slightly different uh, degree. I don't know, but I really liked it here so far. Uh, it's been, it's been awesome. So I love I love, love the Midwest. Good, man. Well, welcome. Yeah. Welcome yeah, to Chicago. Thank you. Yeah, um, thank you very much. Do you, do you get out to play at all? Or are you just like working yeah. and designing clubs for everybody else to play? No, no, I get out. I get out. Uh, once we hit, uh, hit April, uh, I play, I have, we have a, uh, we play cog, uh, dubs dread number four. Most oh, nice. Sundays, uh, we've got like okay. a 6 a.m. tea time there. Uh, so play there a lot. Uh, it's also another great thing about being in the golf industry. Usually there's once or two times, a, once or twice a month that we get to go out and play during the week, uh, whether it's a product testing or we have a tour player in town or something like that. So, yeah. you know, I get to play a decent bit. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to try and get into some of the, 
the CDGA amateur events, uh, trying to play a couple of those because oh. I do miss competitive golf a little yeah. bit. Uh, there's, it's a whole different, different animal, a whole different, uh, different world. So trying to do some of that, get the game in shape, uh, but mostly just for fun. So I, I don't know. I still get out. I still get out enough. The two year old makes it a little tougher, makes me feel a little, a little worse about it, but that's why right. we try to go out at 6am so I can be home by, by 10 and don't feel, don't feel as bad about it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't have a two year old and I still would prefer to be out at 6 a.m. and home by 10 or home. Yeah. By I mean, that's, that's, that's been one cool of the things I've, yeah, I've almost gotten it. I've almost gotten addicted to fast rounds of golf. It's, it's yeah. hard for me to go out and like play at 10 a.m. and like be out there for five and a half hours. So it's, right. it's really nice. It's like, and it almost feels like you get two days. Like it's like, all right, I, my golf day from six <laughs> to 10 a.m. It's like I get back, eat breakfast and it's like, all right, the, the second day is starting. So right. it's that's, true. that's like the best thing about, because that's the problem. You play at 10 a.m. It's like, okay, we well, can't really do anything before 10. Right. Uh, you get to the course, you're there from 10 to four or whatever it is, yep. get home, it's dinner time. And it's like, all right, the day is over by the time you're done with golf. So, you know, that's it's a true. whole different type of golf. I love that too. But uh, when I'm trying to, you know, keep my wife and uh, daughter right. happy. Uh, Be a dad and a husband. Yes, right. yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think at some point this summer, it should be you and me and Claff and, and Mr. Tourage himself, Bill Bush go out. We were just at Cog Hill uh, on Sunday, actually playing in the snow, screwing around. Oh, um, awesome. So we can all go out and meet out there. Man. Yeah, let's sure. do it. We got it. We got it. That'll be a blast. All right. All right. Well, thanks Matt again. And, cool. uh, and I do, we'll see each other this summer. Be yeah. Great. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. So that is Matt Neely. Uh, awesome dude. Down to earth guy. Uh, just great, great guy. I don't, I don't know what else to say. Uh, you should definitely go check out, uh, the tour and stuff that he help design, uh, whether you're a new golfer or experienced one or looking for some new stuff, whatever it may be. Um, I can tell you that I, when I mentioned, I've got the 721, the new 721 exotic driver. I also have the three wood and the hybrid, and I am very, very excited putting those in play. If they are anything like the 220 series that they released last year, whew, boy, very, very exciting. Uh, going to make me play, help me play so much better, or at least remove one excuse when I don't play well, because that stuff delivers, man. That stuff delivers 100%. So impressive. Uh, and for the price point, <clears throat> you, you know, you can't beat it. Uh, so anyways, go check that stuff out. I'll put all the links and things into the show notes and uh, including my YouTube stuff I mentioned, including the link to uh, the interview that uh, the Talking Golf Getaways guys had with Augie, so you can go and find that. Uh, but otherwise, it's good to be back. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm excited about some guests that we have coming up. Uh, some, some more inspiring stories, I think, that you'll enjoy. And hopefully some people that I can continue to introduce you to uh, and understand that this golf world we live in um, is a good one. It's a great one, actually. Uh, so with that... Thank you again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and rate and review the show. And you can follow me on Twitter at Chris McEwen, at Instagram at Chris McEwen. And I don't think I've mentioned it in a while, but on Facebook at Chris McEwen Golf. Someone's got Chris McEwen and they won't give it up yet. Hopefully at some point we'll figure that out. But otherwise, that's the show. Thank you again for listening. Let's close it all out with one of my favorite bands, Kings of Leon, and their new song, Echoing. I will talk to everyone 
next week. <laughs>